should be good. All right, if you got your Bibles, uh, Exodus 33 is where we're at. If you remember from last week, we're kind of we're we're in the middle of a sermon. Actually, we did the first two points last week. We're going to finish up the final point uh, this morning. Uh, but once again, we're in that sermon series, House of Prayer, considering that prayer is not just this uh, kind of like casual throw a few, you know, request up to God kind of a thing. It's not anything less uh, than that, but it certainly is much more than that. That prayer, as we've seen, whether from the story of Jacob or Hannah or now Moses, is that prayer is, is something that we dive into in sometimes to wrestle with God like Jacob did. Uh, sometimes it's to contend uh, with God for blessing, as Hannah did, and God says, "This is good. Come on, like let's let let's let's wrestle it out. Let's let let's you know do this thing together." Um, and even when it comes to Moses, we recognize that God values the intercessor, the one who comes, kind of contending with God for the good of others. So prayer, while it can be just throwing up requests to him kind of casually, it is, it is actually far more robust than that. It, it's, it's about the full dimensions of communion uh, with, with God. And so it's important to recognize that prayer is far more than perhaps we usually think. And it's exemplified even in the characters of scripture. So Exodus chapter 33, we're going to read through verses 12 through 23. Verses 12 through 23. Moses said to Yahweh, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I had found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor <laughs> in your sight. Something of a theme there. Uh, consider, too, that this nation is your people. And Moses said, or God says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Where his presence is, there is rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I, as your leader, have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct? I and your people. And distinct from every other people on the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you've spoken, I will do. For you have found, again, favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. What, what a request. Not a, not a bad prayer to pray, though. Even for us New Testament believers, God, show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord Yahweh. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. This is the sovereign God. 
This is the one that we saw like Moses or yeah, Moses kind of appealing to and seemingly changing his mind. Actually, his mind was never ultimately changed in his good sovereignty, right? He is gracious to whom he will be gracious. And he says, I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take you away. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back. But my face shall not be seen. Once you jump into chapter 34, Moses descends the mount and his face is glowing. He's encountered the Lord. All right, let's pray. We'll jump into these things. Lord, we uh, come to you this morning. We trust, we trust even now that your presence is with us. Spirit of God, thank you for the freedom that we experience in singing earlier. It's something of a, a testimony to you being with us. In our own strength, song is not free. Worship is not free, but when you're with us, now there's freedom there. So thank you for meeting with us. Thank you for encouraging our hearts. Jesus, thank you um, that you are the, the fullness of the glory of God. That you make the invisible God visible for us so that we might behold glory face to face. Uh, and even now, Spirit of God, we pray. Uh, I pray, pray that you would help me um, in terms of just the burden that I feel <coughs> and making sure the burden doesn't get before the text. Um, but God, have your way this morning. And wherever I overstep in what I say, um, God, would you kind of do the, the work of sifting through these words before it lands on the hearer? Uh, so that ultimately what is received is of you. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I am emotional. Oh. This is, uh, this is a, a burden that I just feel for us. Um. that we might be a people who, who know something of God's presence. That we're not just a people who know about God's presence. We're not just a people who know something of, yes, this glorious reality of Christ propitiate, being a propitiation for us. Um, but that we would be people who know, because Jesus was the propitiation, we have received divine inheritance. And the seal of that inheritance is the presence of God, the Holy Spirit. We get the Holy Spirit because of all that Jesus has done. The benefits of the gospel are the fact that now God dwells with his people. Oh, that we would know. When a woman is pregnant, this is a horrible illustration. When a woman is pregnant, does she eventually know that there's a little human inside of her. Yes! 
beginning with morning sickness and eventually all the tugging and pulling and all the, the, the stress that is there, all right? So it's kind of a crude illustration. If you have the Holy Spirit in you, this Yahweh, the infinite God, should you not know? Should you not know that he is in you? Should you not be able to discern what he's doing? Like, in our context, we're good. Okay, if, if he brings some conviction to me, oh yeah, that's the Holy Spirit, you know. But like, there's a whole ocean to be explored in terms of how he engages with our hearts and how he brings truth to our minds and how he directs us circumstantially. Folks, we cannot be individuals who, who merely just say, okay, theology, systematic theology is going to be my source of life. Systematic theology is to live, right? It's to be alive. It's to be active. Thank you. Right? Because it speaks to us of a real God who really has done all the work so that he might take up residence in you. And don't hear me wrong. We need truth. We need to know systematic theology. Those things are valuable. But if you're going to rest in those things, oh, God have mercy to not know something of the wonder of God's presence within. He is peace that passes all understanding. He is joy in the midst of awful circumstances. You have to sit back and say, why do I have joy right now? It can only be expressed in the fact that there is God who is in you and the fruit that he loves to produce is joy even amidst great suffering. Folks, we must learn to be a people of God's presence. And now as it relates to intercession, remember this is supposed to be a sermon that completes last week. Uh, as it relates to intercession, we've seen already that sometimes we don't receive the blessing uh, because we don't contend with God for communion, right? We're just kind of, we're the surface level kind of Christians. We just do our thing and there's no real hunger, desperation, brokenness to go deep with God. We don't contend with him like Jacob did and sometimes we miss out on the blessing of intimacy with him. Sometimes we miss out on the, uh, on the blessing as like Hannah did, he, she contended with God to receive that blessing and so sometimes we just, you know, we're, we're the foxhole prayer people. And so if we, we don't know a whole lot of persistence in prayer, when that's exactly what Jesus says, this is who you are to be. In fact, it, it delights the heart of the Father when God's people are persistent. And even the illustrations that the New Testament would use, it's persistent in asking for even physical blessing. So sometimes we don't receive the blessing because we just don't persist. We don't contend with God for the blessing. And sometimes we don't receive the blessing because we don't contend with God for one another. That's intercession, right? Intercession, as we <laughs> defined it last week, is this. It's the act of serving both God and others in order to see God's promises and power realized in their lives. And we remember this as well, is that when it comes to intercessory prayer, intercessors are, are, are first a people of worship before they are a people of true intercession, right? They're a, they're a people who love to go after God's heart. They, they love to kind of 
get tucked away in the secret place and just say, God, I just want to rest with you right now. I want to know you. Yes, life is busyness. Don't forget Corey Tin Boom's quote. If, if Satan can't make you bad, what will he make you? Busy. So no secret places, no time, lengthy time, just you and the Lord, not learning how to engage with him. But this is what intercessors do. They're willing to step away, even from all the busyness, schedule it if need be, and they'll get in their secret quiet place and just incline their hearts to the Lord's heart. They're people of God's own heart. They're people of worship before they're people of the request. But that's what makes their request all the more rich, right? Is that they know how to ask because they've, They've spent time with the Lord. They're worshipers first before they're ever intercessors. And so when it comes to intercession, intercession just flows out of worship. So to be a true intercessor is, is first to be a, a worshiper. Last week, we saw then more specifically that intercessors, they love God's people. We saw Moses. He's loving on, he, he's taken incredible risk of his own life to intercede for God's people. We also saw that he reflects God's own heart as a true intercessor who says, God, if, if, if it means to uh, save this people by blotting me out, let that take place. And like we said last week, it's so good that God didn't because Moses could have never truly satisfied the propitiation, right? The wrath that was necessary to be satisfied. That could only come through the true intercessor, Jesus. Now, finally, true intercessors, they prize God's presence. They don't only love God's people, they don't only reflect God's heart, but they, they prize God's presence. As I mentioned last week, again, this is probably just the most important aspect of the Christian life for, that I believe in, in, in the Western church needs to be reclaimed. I know when we went through baptism of the Holy Spirit and all that kind of stuff, I said some of the same stuff, right? These, these are important matters to consider as a Western church. Um, and I would even say some of the changes that we'll be making as a church in terms of our name will reflect something of this. That's why I think it's, in, it's important. So just think about it for a moment, right? True intercessors prize God's presence. Now stick with me through, through the logic that I'm about to lay down. We'll get to the point. I want you to think for a moment. Moses knew how important God's presence was. Just look at the text. Verse 15, he said to him, God's, or Moses is saying to God, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Why? Why? For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us that makes us distinct, right? Moses is more or less saying in, in, in these words that he's saying, I'm not worthy to be followed, right? If you're not going to be with me, if your favor isn't known upon, I can't be the leader that you've, you've called me to be. There's two million plus people, right? That Moses now is responsible before, before God, you know? And Moses is saying, no, this is way beyond my pay grade. Like, my limitations, no way. I need your favor. I need your presence. And, and then he says, and who are we as a people if you're not with us? We're just like any other nation out there. You are no different than every other person in this world if it's not that God's presence 
makes you distinct. You can know all you want to know, right? But you can know a lot and still not have his presence. So think about this for a moment. Again, follow my, some logic. Maybe I'll lose some. Um, again, this is, this is me trying to be careful with the burden that I'm carrying and trying to get to the text and wrestle through these things. What do we need as a church? Uh, Christianity itself is based on the supernatural. Do you realize that? Your faith is based in the supernatural. Christianity says <laughs> that there was a guy who died for our sins and didn't stay dead. And if he did stay dead, then the work that he did at the cross is in vain. And so Paul says, hey, if, if this didn't truly happen, then we are of most people to be pitied. Our faith is super, it, it's, it's in a miracle, in other words. It's in a resurrection. It's taking the laws of nature and flipping them upside down and saying, we're going to believe in that. It's foolishness. It's foolishness. Your faith is in something that by all Western standards is foolish. You good with that? I don't think we always are. I know I'm not. Oh, I want logic. Prove it, right? But it is a miracle. Nothing less than a miracle. And folks, then the mission of the church is all about the miracle. What are we doing? We're raising dead people, in a sense. We're seeing spiritually dead people be awakened out of their spiritual death and brought to spiritual life. That's why we go share the gospel with it, because we believe the miracle. We believe resurrection's going to happen. We believe that dead people will be resurrected, spiritually speaking. This is incredible stuff. This is your faith. This is my faith. This is what we trust in. This is what we believe in. And when it comes to that resurrection life that we say, yes, we testify, even in our baptism. What is, what is baptism all about? We testify that there has been a resurrection inside of us. We've gone from spiritual death to spiritual life, new minds, new hearts, new desires. Things are changing. Life has happened. It's a resurrection life, right? But more specifically, what is that life? Well, we could say, who is that life? It's the life of the Holy Spirit. You have to be regenerated in order to be saved, right? So, more miracles. The basis of Christianity, miracles. And the presence of God. For with the presence of God comes the miracle. He is the miracle-working God, if you will. The life now that we enjoy is a working of the Holy Spirit. The resurrection life that we have is now ours by the work of the Holy Spirit, bringing all the benefits of what Christ has done to bear upon our hearts. Folks, we are not new creations on our own. You are bound to God's presence. You are bound to Christ. How? Through the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit. Right? Is that true? Yes? Yeah. Okay, good. All right. Listen to a few Francis Chan sermons this past week. Um, thanks to James. We were dialoguing through this stuff throughout the week. 
Francis Chan has a wonderful illustration. He says, it seems as though the church today is much more like a weekend at Bernie's. Have you watched that? Yeah? A weekend at Bernie's. Um, I, it's been years since I've even seen a clip of that movie. But you know even the picture of what's happening in that movie. There's a dead guy. And what are they trying to do? They're trying to dress him up and animate him in some way to make as though he's alive. Francis Chan says, this seems to be the way that the church is in the West. We, we, we are a bit dead, but we try to do all these things to make us lo look alive. So we, we need, as he says, 10 accountability partners to think that, oh, we're, we're changed and alive. Right? We read a ton of books. But even reading a ton of books doesn't seem to ultimately change us. We listen to endless podcasts only to make us, in so many ways, more arrogant in what we know. It's not to say that those things are bad or that we shouldn't, like, desire an accountability partner. That's biblical. It's not to say we shouldn't read books. We've got to be readers. We've got to be readers of the book. And we must. We should. In, in an age that we live in, endless podcasts, endless instruction that, that we can receive and grow from. But folks, if those are an end in themselves, we're no better than a weekend at Bernie's. Just dead, but trying these things to make us feel and demonstrate to others, we're alive. Folks, when it comes down to it, information is not the problem of the church today. Man, I, Jamie showed us this new platform, and it's like a Christian Netflix. It is amazing. There is more content than you have enough life to get through. And it's all biblical content, Bible Story after Bible story, some of the best teachers in, in, in the West, right? It's, it's an amazing thing. But even all of that, information, 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 we have it at our fingertips. We have no excuse <laughs> as a people, but we think that that stuff is going to make us alive. That that's what's going to bring life to us. Resource is not the problem in the church today. A more proactive community and more accountability partners it is not the primary problem of the church today. We have more today than previous generations ever had in the church. So what's the problem? I would say it's we don't prize the presence of God. For Moses, this is what makes God's people distinct and different from the world, right? So, so utilize all those resources, but let them be that which drives you to God's presence, a personal, real relationship, not religiosity, not just being a harbor of information, all the books, all the curriculum that I've been reading and learning from, now I harbor information. If it's just information, you are bringing death to yourself. Those things should never be the end. They should only be means and means to grow in understanding something of relationship 
with God and knowing something of his presence because this is what makes you and I distinct from the rest of the world. It is God's presence among his people. And throughout church history, there's a handful of books that I'm reading even uh, right now. And as you look through church history, when you see God's presence show up in powerful ways among God's people, oh, then everything else kind of gets lined up. It's amazing. Prayer becomes a priority. People, people want to get away in the secret place. He's so good. He's so good. I've tasted and known him. I, I know his presence, and I want, want to dive into more of that in prayer. Prayer becomes a priority. Knowing the word doesn't just become a head full of knowledge. It becomes an adventure. I get to learn all the different dimensions of this glorious God is revealed in Scripture. Community becomes an astounding joy. Why? Because we get to participate in the presence of God together. Like it's not just me, Lone Ranger, personal secret place time. I get to now be with you and we get to participate in the presence of God, participate together in Christ together. What a joy it is to be together. Evangelism becomes a thrilling necessity. <laughs> you want to go share it with others. Why? Because you've known his presence. You've seen him work. It's like he's going to work for them. Let the miracle, let the supernatural work of God begin in their life. Let's go share the gospel with them. It becomes a thrilling necessity. Suffering. This is a particular nuance that's a burden for me in our church. Suffering becomes a certain privilege. It doesn't mean that it's not hard. It doesn't mean that there's not times of tears and anger and frustration. But suffering ultimately becomes a certain privilege. When you've known God's presence, to say, oh God, let this be for you. Let me fill up what is lacking and the afflictions of Christ. Miracles become the expected norm. Not something of, well, we hope. Maybe he'll do this. We've never seen it, but maybe. When God's people know something of the presence, you, you go to, to the east and you consider the churches right now that are growing amazingly and like things are happening right they will say we just expect miracles <laughs> like wait in the west we don't see any of that kind of stuff but they just that's part of their regular church life is they expect miracles we'll see why that's so important in just a moment and folks when it comes to experiencing god's worship becomes free and sometimes really long you ever, you ever get sick on a Sunday morning of singing? Be honest. <laughs> you're going to be lying, right? Sometimes it gets long, doesn't it? It's like, why are we singing that song over and over and that phrase then uh, over and over again? Why are we doing that? But God's presence, when he is known, it's like, I will sit at Jesus' feet and just say, holy, holy, holy from now until next week. And holy, holy, holy never gets old because I know who I'm worshiping. 
when you know something of the presence of God, you can stay there. It gets drawn out. Now, does every Sunday now need to be like uh, four or five hours long? No, I don't think so. But I think we need to be okay with that. And I think it is an attribute. It's, it's an evidence of God's presence among his people that sometimes worship becomes incredibly free and sometimes really long. <laughs> Folks, what makes us distinct as a people? I mean, like, first thing that comes to your mind, kind of a question. What makes us distinct as a people? Getting building projects done, right? Gathering together, community, life. We're good relationally or whatever, or not so good relationally, and those are the concerns, you know. What makes us distinct should be the presence of God among his people. It should make us different than the rest of the world who doesn't know him, right? That's how we should stick out. That, that's why we should be attractive is because God is with us and he's working. Can the unbeliever see God in and through our church? Do they stand back and say, you're distinct, I can't put my finger on it, but you're different. God's presence among his people is what makes us distinct. We must therein prize the presence. All right, now we gotta get to some practicals. Second, that category that I have here is stewarding God's presence. It's what the intercessor does, it's his, his work. And so the question that I wanna get at then is how do we become effective intercessors? How, and I'm gonna say this weird and you may be like, oh man, Dan's been listening to the charismatic podcast or whatever. Um, take it with a grain of salt. I'm still like getting language into some of this. How, how do we attract God's presence like Moses does so that our intercession becomes effective, right? How do we attract God's presence so like Moses, our intercession becomes effective? Um, and maybe just even that language, like, hey, if God already dwells in me, how is it that God's presence can come to me in greater or lesser ways? Like, what's the point of attracting God's presence if he's already here in me, like the Bible says? Do we even need to be concerned about attracting God's presence and experience uh, this idea of God's presence? Well, here's the point. Um, God may be in you, but his presence is known and felt in greater or lesser ways upon you. Okay, let me just say it again. God may be in you by his Holy Spirit, but his presence is known and felt in greater or lesser ways upon you. Just note what's happening in Exodus 33. Verse 12, Moses assumes he has a level of favor with God. And man, does that get repeated again and again and again and again. It's very clear. There is favor upon Moses from God. So in verse 13, Moses says, well, if I have found favor, please show me your ways that I may know you in order to again find favor in your sight. So Moses is concerned with finding favor from God. And then Moses says a little bit further down, because I have found favor in your sight, can I see your glory? Can I know your manifest presence? Moses understood that favor and presence go together, right? Favor meant that there may be 
greater depths to knowing and experiencing God's presence, even though he knew that he could die in beholding the manifest presence of, of God, he, he, he pressed into that. He, he leveraged the favor that God said is upon him, and he said, oh God, can I know something more of your presence? Now, I'm going to make a big step. Hang on. I think this principle stands for us as well. Knowing the favor of the Lord often leads to greater measures of experiencing his manifest presence. Throughout the New Testament, we see this again and again, this intersection of favor and presence. Jesus, for instance, he carried the presence of God from birth, we would say, right? He was conceived of the Holy Spirit, but as Luke says, Luke chapter 2, verse 40, it's repeated again, in verse 52, it says that the child Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature, and listen, and in favor with God and man. Jesus increased in favor with God and man. The perfect man, Christ Jesus, increased in favor with God and man. He increased in that favor. But I thought Jesus and the Father had a perfect love relationship, like perfect favor. Yeah, that's the, the difficulty here, right? But we know Jesus grew in that favor. As Jesus grew, God's favor rested upon him in greater measure, right? So that even when Jesus is grown, he, he, he's going to his baptism, and what happens at the baptism? But again, you see this inter intersection between favor and presence. God the Father announces over his son, oh, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. I favor him. And what happens in that moment is the Holy Spirit comes and descends on him like a dove, John 2 says, and his presence remained on him. Favor and presence, favor and presence, right? Keep that in your minds. As the Holy Spirit remains on him, then the Holy Spirit is leading him. He's leading in him into his ministry, and through this ministry, you see it's effective. Why? Because Jesus was led by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Does that stand at any, in any way contrary to all the truth that Jesus would have already known of the Old Testament? These are important distinctions. Although Jesus knew the word better than any of us would know the word, he still was dependent upon the presence to lead him into his earthly ministry, to perform the miracles that he performed, to cast out demons, to heal the sick, and to proclaim the kingdom. He had a fruitful ministry under the leading and guidance of the presence of the Holy Spirit. All to say then, there is something to the fact that God may be in us, but that his presence at times is pleased to rest on us and even to empower us for ministry. All right, so let's get to some tension points here. Doesn't the Father love or favor Jesus perfectly? Why does Jesus have to grow in favor? 
right? Consider Hebrews chapter 5. It says this. It says, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence being heard because of reverence. So already there's something in Jesus that is, that is being the grounds for the Father responding to him. The, Jesus had reverence for the Father, and the Father answered his prayers, brought favor to him. And then verse 8, it gets a bit, little bit more clear. Although he was a son, perfectly loved by the Father, notice, he learned obedience through what he suffered. You, you could say it this way, even Jesus had to grow in faith. He had to go through increasingly greater steps of faith and risk. He had to learn obedience. He had to learn to walk by faith. Now, of course, the distinction between us and Jesus is this, that he didn't learn faith and obedience from a place of disobedience or unbelief, right? As we do. We, we grow in these things from a place of disobedience, from a place of unbelief. Jesus didn't grow from a place of disobedience and, and, and disbelief. But he had, no less, to live it. He had, in, in, in his life, to sense the risk of faith. He had to be have his ears open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Faith had to take feet even in Jesus' life. Faith had to be put into action. He couldn't be that perfect sacrifice if he didn't grow in these ways, if he didn't actually walk our pathway. He couldn't be the perfect example. He's the prototype of the new covenant. He sets the example for what we are to, how we are to live. And so we too, we will recognize, we have to grow in faith. Sometimes ever increasing dimensions of faith, right? So although Jesus was a son, although we would say he was perfectly loved, he still had to grow in faith. But here's the connection. God's favor seems to be drawn to active He can't but reveal something of circumstantial favor to his kids when they're stepping out in faith, right? Heaven, we, we could say heaven comes when God's people step out in faith, when they take something of the risk. God draws near. His presence is often made known when God's people act on faith. You see, this is the connection. It's faith that leads to favor. Favor then leads to presence in some way, right? So how does scripture say that we gain favor from God? Like, it's one thing for Jesus. Okay, does this apply to us? Well, Hebrews 11, popular text. Without faith, it is what? It is impossible to please or gain favor from God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. How? By faith. Right? 
Wasn't this the very thing that Moses was honored for? Why does Moses have favor? Because he's, he's walked this walk of faith, of incredible risk by faith. Uh, Hebrews 11 says that uh, when Moses, when he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. It's all faith, right? He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Faith. <laughs> Why? Why? Why is God saying, Moses, I favor you, I favor you, I favor you, I favor you. Because Moses is taking step after step after step of faith. And with that faith comes favor, and with that favor there's opportunity to, oh, bask in the presence of God. He has a right to say, God, show me your glory. God says, oh, let all my goodness pass before you. You've got to get away from theoretical Christianity, folks. God is not just black and white pages. He is to be experienced. You don't have all the stories that you have. We don't have the illustration of Moses. We don't have Hebrews 11 saying, oh, here's the hall of faith. Here are all these people to not learn from them, to not expect something of the same. We have to stop thinking, playing this ordinary stuff as if we're not to experience his presence. Oh, with faith comes favor, and with favor comes his presence. Greater or lesser dimensions of it. So, well, folks, whether it's Moses or whether it's Jesus or whether it's you or me, God blesses our active faith and with favor and with favoring that faith, his presence. It's precisely why James will say God resists the proud but gives grace, favor to the humble. Don't think of grace as just like something that shows up in the mail. Like, oh, I, like he gave me something through the mail. Like, Amazon Prime showed up. Oh, wonderful, I have received a gift. God's grace is always his presence. It's him. It's not just, okay, you know, a distant empowerment. It's not, you know, what you're sh receiving in the mail is not just like a caffeine drink to get, give, give you a little spiritual boost. It's him. He comes. He's near. He's with us. And so when James says this, that, yeah, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble, he favors the humble. He le leans into us. We know in those times the greater or lesser dimensions of his presence. Isaiah 66 will say this, this is the one to whom I will look. This is the one to whom I will favor. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. God favors humility. It's why James will also say, James 4.8, draw near to God and God's going to what? Draw near to you. He's going to favor your activity. He's going to favor those steps of faith. And, and, he, and he's going to draw near to you. And, and the flip side of all this is also true. You can grieve the Holy Spirit by not walking by faith. So you won't know the favor. Like when you go and evangelize, I don't know how many people go out and evangelize. And even if as they walk the streets and talk to people, even if it's an awful time, nothing happens. People just, I don't want to talk to you. Those same people who just went out come back, and are they just dragging themselves? Oh, woe is us. Nothing happened. They often come back thrilled. 
why? It's like, ah, that was great. We got totally rejected. You know, it's like, okay, that doesn't make any sense. But nonetheless, why are they so thrilled? They took a step of faith. And when you take a step of faith, you may not get the fruit that you want, but nonetheless, you experience something of the presence of God. When we did our prayer walk not too long ago, man, we're touching, you know, praying for different people and, and even receiving different prophetic words and God showed up, there, there it is. Like we didn't see massive conversion, but we certainly came away just thrilled. God, God showed up as we took steps of faith. God was clearly at work in our midst. Something of his presence was known. Folks, I think, if I can just be blunt, as Christians, we sometimes like living at a distance from his presence. Because then you can't ask anything too difficult of us. I don't really have to surrender. I don't have to work at my sin. I don't have to forgive. I don't have to extend mercy. I just kind of show up to church and do the churchy stuff and feel good about myself and head home. But in some way, what are you forfeiting? You're forfeiting his presence. You're forfeiting his favor. Folks, God loves to rest his presence upon a people of faith and expectancy. Do you come on Sunday mornings, like, with expectancy? <laughs> What's God going to do? What's he going to do in our midst? He loves to rest his presence upon a people of faith and expectancy. He's attracted to it in some sense. So this, then, to bring everything around to a full completion... This is what effective intercessors do, right? They, they prize the, the presence of God. That, that's, their, that's their aim. Oh, I just want to get at God, know him and explore him to experience, even, even experience him, right? They prize, but they also steward the presence of God. How do, how do we steward the presence of God if, presence of God is known greater or lesser ways through our faith that leads to his favor, which leads to experiences of his presence. Uh, the idea of stewarding the presence of God is to make sure that we are faithfully taking steps of faith. As the Holy Spirit is leading us, we're taking steps of faith. It may not make sense to this world. It may not make sense to the people who know you best, but as the Lord leads and as it's weighed against the objective truth of God's word, then, then you're taking those steps of faith. And with faith comes favor, and with, come, with favor comes the presence of God. That's how we steward, we ensure. Like Jesus, and this is another like crude metaphor, but nonetheless, Jesus, he's baptized, favor of the Father is proclaimed over him, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit descends on him as a dove. The Bible uses the metaphor, so I'm going to use it. Okay, so the presence of the Lord is upon you by way of the dove. If you had a dove on your shoulder, how, how would you walk through your day in an attempt to actually keep it on your shoulder? <laughs> I think that's part of the issue with the presence of God as well. Like, oh, man, I'm not used to this kind of stuff. It's, it's too much. How do you keep the dove on your shoulder? Well, every step is going to be careful. It's going to be in light of the dove. Okay, walk carefully. Okay. Same should be true for children of God. To, to keep his favor, if you will, right? To, to, to keep something of his presence 
upon you to steward that well is to say, okay, I'm going I'm to be very careful with every step that I take. If, he, if, if he's bringing sin to mind to deal with sin, then I'm going to take those steps. I'm going to be led by him step after step and be very careful to be very aware, to be God conscious, if you will, of his presence. So folks, that's how we steward the presence of God. This is what intercessors do. They prize the presence, they steward the presence of God. And again, maybe this is different language and maybe got issues with the language. With the language, I'm good with like, hey, I'm good with tweaking it, whatever. But the point here is there can be greater or lesser experiences of God's presence and it oftentimes rides on whether or not you're walking by faith. Another point here, just as the Lord's bringing it to mind, if you're not dealing with your sin, you gather with God's people. Is this going to be straight? You are, you are getting in the way of God's people knowing God's favor. Right? If you're not dealing with your sin and walking by faith, then you're bringing that into the community. And now the, the presence of God is some way strained for the rest of us. So we have to be careful. You may not like that idea, but it's true. We could go to the metaphor that Paul uses. We are a body. If one piece is sick, it's going to affect the rest. And if you're not dealing with that sin and you're just holding it kind of, you know, closed in your closet and keeping it secret, then what you're doing is just perpetually damaging the body. Until that's brought out into the light and the rest of the body can serve and come alongside of you. Folks, when it comes down to it, again, this is what intercessors do. They prize the presence of God. They steward uh, the presence of God. I want to end just with this particular verse. Um, before I end, I do want to say, I hope this spurs up some conversation. Because I know we're stepping into uh, theological waters that may be like, mm, I'm not used to this. Like, I thought that I was justified and God's favor was never um, conditional. It's true. God's favor is never conditional in your justification. Your position before the Father never is shaky. Jesus paid for that. You can't kind of step out of that. He's done all the work. If it was up to you to do the work, then it would be conditional. Right? But since you've been justified, now what is sanctification all about? It's learning how to walk by faith, right? It's learning how to understand God's presence. That's why Moses is saying, God, I just want to learn your ways. Like, I want to know who you are, how you work, even in the mysterious ways in which you work. I want to know that stuff. So, and in some ways, we have to be careful with this language. Uh, but let it begin conversation in some sense. Uh, and I think I need to be completely open personally. I've wrestled through this for a few years. When we gather as a people of God, it, it came by first by way of experience. That God sometimes pours out his spirit in unique ways among his people. And the question to me has been why. And so I've studied revival history and all that kind of stuff. I'm going through another book even right now. And, and again and again, what you see is this, this, this principle at work. God is free ultimately to do what God wants to do. But you see this principle at work. Where there's faith, there is favor, and God oftentimes 
places his presence. He loves, he loves to rest his presence upon a faithful people. But I want to end by this particular text. James ended uh, with it last week. Jesus told them a parable, Luke 18. He told them a parable to the effect that they had all, always to pray and not lose heart. As intercessors, prizing the presence, stewarding the presence, there's a call to not lose heart. Jesus said in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. There was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because of this widow keeps bothering me, <laughs> I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Will he find faith on earth? I think you could say, Will he find his people praying? Will he find his people persisting in prayer? Will he find his people actively coming and knocking by faith? Because with faith comes favor, which then we find his presence, experience his presence in greater or lesser ways. Folks, will he find us as a people? praying? Will he find faith among us? For again, with faith comes favor, and with favor comes greater measures of his presence. Let's pray together. God, I pray even right now with all the with all the different theological problems that this might raise for our minds. <laughs> um, God, I pray that we might be able to walk in humility, honoring you by faith. That what we don't understand, we would talk through and be like the Bereans who seek out your word. And yet, God, if I can just boldly ask, God, we, we, want, we want to be a people of your presence. We want to be spiritually sensitive. Yes, for right and wrong, for, for morality, for how to honor you, but we want to be sensitive for when you come, for when you direct us, for when you come and just bless us with your presence. We want to be sensitive to that. We don't just want to walk away saying, well, that was a nice Sunday. We want to give you the credit. We want you to be the one that our testimonies arise to 
So if we don't understand your presence, how can we give you the credit for your presence? So Jesus, make us people of that testimony. Teach us of your presence, we pray. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I want to ask you guys if um, if you could raise your hand if you feel after Dan's sermon your weakness as an intercessor. Put those hands up high if you feel weak as an intercessor. <coughs> I want to say to us that we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But our high priest is one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So let us then, with confidence, draw near to his throne of grace, that we might receive mercy, that we might find grace, his presence, to help in time of need. So I want to ask for two people, if, if, it's, if it's more than two, that's awesome. I want to ask for two people to come to the front and grab the microphone and lead us in a time of corporate confession and then asking for God to help us by his grace, by his presence, for us to be a people who are true intercessors, for us to be a people who prize his presence and steward that presence, who walk sensitively with that dove on our shoulder. We want to walk as ones who are sensitive to his leading. So, I don't care who it is, but I want to ask two people to come forward to confess on our behalf corporately our weakness as intercessors and then to ask for grace to help us in that time of need, in that weakness, because I feel that weakness personally. We saw the hands. We, f we feel weak as true intercessors. So if two of you could come forward and pray, and, um, and then we'll close with a song. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, that you, you care enough to pursue us, God. You care enough to convict us. You care enough to say, look at me. Come back. I care about you. Oh, Lord, please give us that same heart for others, God. I confess my own struggle, Lord, um, since having a baby, God, with prayerlessness, just having trouble focusing, just feeling tired, obviously, but Lord, I thank you, God, for the intercession that this church was to us, Lord, um, during our own uh, experience as new parents, God, and also with our baby in the hospital, Lord, and this church uh, held us up, God, and I thank you for them, Lord, and I, I confess my own prayerlessness, and I pray that whoever here, Lord, is also struggling, God, with prayerlessness, or or even praying, God, maybe very consistent, maybe very disciplined, and you may be praying every day, God, but just not feeling the favor or not, not knowing that presence, Lord. I pray that we wouldn't just be praying consistently, Lord, but we would be 
talking to you, God, that it wouldn't be a checklist, that it would be a relationship, Lord. Um, thank you, Lord, for um, Dan's faithfulness and in, in, in sharing the word, Lord, and in sh sharing your heart with us, God. Thank you for this upcoming D.C. season, Lord. Bless it, please, God, as we we pursue you together, God, and we, we, we press in, Lord, for prayer, um, in prayer with each other, Lord. I pray that you would... Um, You would um, help me and my brothers and sisters, Lord, just to grow in prayer for prayer, prayerfulness, um, and not just in consistency, Lord, but in fervor, in in faith, and we would feel and know Your presence, Lord God, in and through that prayer. Thank you, Lord, that even now as we pray about prayer, that you hear these prayers, Lord, and you plan to act, you will act, you want to act, Lord, and thank you so much that just again, God, you come after our hearts. And you keep coming after us. Amen. Father, I suspect that all of us in this room feel unworthy to intercede on the behalf of everyone else, as I know that I do. But God, also, I ask you that you would remind us of the great truth in your word that at your cross, you've made us worthy. You've positioned us before you in righteousness so that that is what you see, is, this, is the righteousness of your son as he took our sin on the cross. Lord, you, you have made us worthy in your eyes. And we know that our lives don't match that. But I, I just pray, God, on behalf of all of us here today that the knowledge of what you have made us would affect how we live and pursue you. Knowing who you have made us, knowing who we are, always changes what we do. So, God, I intercede on behalf of not only myself, but all of my brothers and sisters here today. The knowledge of your great sacrifice, the great sanctification that you have given us, the perfect position that you have afforded us before your throne <clears throat> would motivate us to pursue you in a greater way that we might experience your presence with us. Lord, let truth be the thing that changes us, not our own motives, not our own actions, but the knowledge of the, of the great truth of your word. So we thank you. We thank you that it's, it's not 
It's not us that has to just do a better job. We don't have to just pull up our bootstraps this week and be a little bit better than we were last week. We need to focus on you and what you've done and what you've given us. I make ask God that you'd make that true of myself, make that true of my wife, my kids, my grandkids, my brothers and sisters all around us here. So that we would really have a special, vivid display of your presence in our lives this week. May we all be motivated to realize that we can be interceding for one another all week long because you've made us all perfect in your sight before your throne. Let that be the truth that spurs us this week. And we ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. So when Dan said... um, Suffering becomes a privilege. It was like a snack to the face. God, I ask forgiveness for the ways where suffering causes us to be blindness to the pain of others and to the struggling and the suffering of others. It can become a world that you live in and it makes it hard to intercede for anybody but your own emotions. Lord, we want to be free. Suffering happens, and there is an extension of your presence. There is a blessing. There is an encounter in the morning. With the tears, your joy always comes in the morning. It always comes in the morning. There's always more to be had. In the lowliest of places, the Lord is nearer still. So I know that in my suffering, you are nearer to me. Let me not take that as an advantage only for myself. There is a nearness of your presence in times of suffering, in times of mourning, in times of what are you doing? But the but God still remains. But God. And but God is not just for me in my mourning. It's not just for me in my suffering. That but God is for the people that you've put around me, the people that are in my family, even the people that have caused the most harm. Your but God is for them as well. And we want to acknowledge that, that in times of suffering, for those that are suffering in this church right now, for those that are mourning in this church right now, Lord, help us see your nearness in a way that we haven't encountered it before so that our prayers can become the amen and the victory in the years to come. That we can see somebody else through, even if we can't manage to see ourselves through, and trust you to carry us when we can't walk and to walk forth in faith, stepping out saying, you might not heal my circumstance tomorrow, but I'm going to pray that you do it for them today. And let that be the launching pad. Let suffering be a launching pad for the prayers and the intercession of the church to bring home the prodigals, to bring forth the revelation and, and the words that were spoken the prophetic words that were spoken years past, Lord. Let them come into fulfillment because the ones that suffer notice that your presence is living and active and near. 
Let us not forget you in the times of suffering. Let us not forget those around us in times of suffering. So, Lord, I pray that you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts that would be open, and faith that causes us to look beyond our circumstance and our suffering, that would cause us to look upon the people around us and that surround us and know that you want the better part for them. You want to but God for them just as much as you want for us. So, Lord, let us just be faithful in, in the encounter of suffering, in the privilege of knowing the nearness of your shadow, that we would use that as a position of authority to pray others through. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for the blessings and the victories that have yet to come for the people within this church for the marriages and the families that have yet to come in this church, Lord, and for the people that are walking through the times of suffering, for the times of victory, enlightenment, and the, the joy that comes in the morning, Lord. Thank you for what has yet to be. We claim it as though it is. In Jesus' name. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, in the holy and righteous name of your son, Jesus Christ. I come to you, Lord God, asking you, Lord God, Lord Jesus and Holy Spirit, to please forgive me for everything that I did, said, and thought that wasn't right. I repent and I apologize and ask you to please forgive me. Please have mercy for me. Lord Jesus, pour out more of your grace and your mercy upon me. Not just me, Lord God, but everybody here. Lord God, Lord Jesus, and Holy Spirit, please forgive us for all the mistakes, wrong choices, bad choices, wrong decisions, bad decisions, bad attitudes, bad habits that we had, that we did, or they, that we may have had. We ask you, Lord God, to please forgive us and please help us in every area of our lives to live right and do right, Lord God. Lord Jesus, and Holy Spirit, Lord God Almighty, Lord Jesus and Holy Spirit, we repent for all of our sins, for all of our transgressions, for all of our iniquities. We ask you, Father, in the name of Jesus, to please have mercy on us. Please forgive us. Please pour out more of your grace and mercy upon us, Lord God, Lord Jesus, and Holy Spirit. Please help us in every area of our lives to live right and do right, Lord God, Lord Jesus, and Holy Spirit. We forgive all others that have hurt us. We ask you, Lord God, Lord Jesus, and Holy Spirit, to please forgive us if there's anybody that we hurt or that we may have hurt. We repent and we apologize, and we ask you to please forgive us and please have mercy on us. 
please pour out more of your grace and your mercy upon us, Lord God, Lord Jesus, and Holy Spirit. Lord God, Lord Jesus, and Holy Spirit, we thank you, Lord, for being our provider, our healer, our deliverer, our protector, our mighty counselor, our comforter, our helper. We thank you, Lord God, Lord Jesus, and Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, for dying on the cross for all of our sins. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for who you are. We thank you, Lord God Almighty, for who you are. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for who you are. Lord God, Lord Jesus, and Holy Spirit. We ask for you, Lord God, Lord Jesus, and Holy Spirit, for salvation, healing, deliverance, protection, and forgiveness. Spirit, if I said bitter thought or anything that wasn't right, I repent and I apologize. I'm asking you, please forgive me. Please have mercy on me and please pour out more of your grace and your mercy upon me, Lord God. We thank you, Lord God, Lord Jesus, and Holy Spirit for your goodness, your mercy, your grace, your love and kindness, and your wonderful works. In Jesus' name, amen. If there's anybody else here that is feeling that we profoundly and you want additional prayer for you specifically, then I encourage you to come forward while we close our, with our last song. Please don't leave if you need that prayer time. Please come receive it. And if you see people come up here to receive it, please surround them and give that prayer time for them. Give that ministry time. Um, this, is, this is a corporate activity. This is, not, this is not select individuals who can intercede for them and pray for them. This is what we do together. Feel that need for prayer, please come receive it. And if you see people who need it, please come and give it.
says, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord. How did you receive him? Faith and repentance. He took that risk. He showed you just by faith. His kindness led you to repent of your sins. As you 